Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey out there, everyone. Phil here. Before we get started, I just want to have a quick chat to you. Recently, Rolltocast was nominated in the Australian Podcast Awards. We're up for the Best Fiction Podcast, but there's also a Listener's Choice Award, and we'd love for you to give us a hand getting up the charts in the Listener's Choice Award. So all you have to do is go to australianpodcastawards.com forward slash vote, uh, type in Rolltocast, and you'll see us come up and pop your vote in. That would be really, really appreciated. And uh, if you want to support what we're doing, please, please head to our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash babybeard. You have uh, lots of benefits there, including getting on our Discord and our monthly stream that we do as well. That happens at the end of every month. Get involved with that too. But I won't keep you too long. Please enjoy the show. everybody to roll to cast the now award nominated tabletop rpg podcast of both actual plays and interviews with the creators i am ellen and i have been the gm of our latest season kids on bikes a mystery down under and i am joined here at the baby beard table by phil hello i played jono in this last season you sure did and following the post kids on bikes wrap-up episode from last week oh it was very good wasn't it very informative very funny we haven't recorded it yet (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we're following our inter-season content with the two creators of kids on bikes would you like to introduce yourselves doug Lewandowski and jonathan gilmore i'd be happy to uh i'm doug Lewandowski. i'm one of the co-creators of kids on bikes teens in space kids on brooms other things yeah i'm i'm thrilled to be here from a very very different time zone Thank you. And we're very, very happy to have you join us. And yeah, thank you. Jonathan. Uh, I'm Jonathan Delmore. I co-designed those things with Doug Lewandowski as well. 
And it's very early. We're just so, uh, Josh, to have both of you here with your whole expanding kids on franchise. Um, and I know that you both met at a convention together, Metacon. Um, what was the kind of little chat it that you had? Uh, see, that was that was quite a while ago, right? Metatopia, I believe, was yeah. maybe the first time that we met up, which is a small, smaller playtesting convention here in the US. Um, I think Doug and I just kind of really hit it off, like as well, uh, like as far as working on projects, yeah. we just you know really liked each other's design style and wanted to do something together. So, what had you previously made, each of you, uh, when you first um, met? When we first met, gosh, I don't know if I had anything published yet. You did. Uh, you had got the doctor out. <laughs> <laughs> Remembering each other's histories. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, Doc. What's that? Oh, it's just, it's very sweet that uh, you obviously know each other very well, know each other's working histories. Yes. Um, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, reading a little bit about. Uh, you know, talking about your your styles of collaboration. And I think it was you, Jonathan, that said harshest critique is the only kind of critique. And, um, you know, you want someone who will really kind of give you give you the, the criticism and, and help you become better as a, a game designer. Um, is that how you kind of work together as, as a partnership? Like what makes you two such a dynamic duo? Uh, I, think, I think we... Uh, have a really good working relationship where we're both really honest with each other when it comes to feedback like that. And neither one of us is, um, you know, too bashful to tell the other one when an idea is bad, which is what I, I really like. What about you, Doug? Yeah. And I, I think the flip side to that, that makes that work is that at this point in our designing careers, I know when I was first starting, I was pretty fragile about design stuff, but at this point I'm wedded to almost almost nothing in the design process. And that I think helps the critiques go better. I, it's really few and far between when like I get feedback from John about something that I'm like upset about it, even if it was something that I really, really liked. I think the, the magic system in kids on rooms might be the last one that like, that I remember thinking like, wow, uh, that doesn't feel great, but um, in the end, it was you know much for the better. Uh, yeah, I banged out a, a draft of that, and the numbers were just way too high. Like magic would have been like you may as well try to lift the boulder with your bare hands. Um, and John and Spencer were like, "Well, you know how magic is the fun thing. Maybe people should do the fun thing." I was like, "I don't know. Maybe it's hard to lift a boulder, guys." Um, <laughs> So are you, Doug, more of the uh, the realist <laughs> trying to keep this whole thing grounded like a boulder, you might say? Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, hey, guys, why don't we have like verisimilitude in games that people play for escapism? Wouldn't that be fun? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Um, but no, I mean, I, and I think that that balance works well. I think it's good that both of us are, you know, come in with the ideas we come in with thinking this is a really good idea, right? We're not, you know, presenting drafts of absolute garbage to the other one. Right. And then saying like, okay, but now what do I think is good in here? That's not good. And the ability to, to be honest with each other, like John said, and to be, you know, loving harsh critics of each other, I think <laughs> yeah. is yeah, great. It, ma it makes the game stronger as a result. And, and obviously, you know, once you've got a good working relationship, you can, 
you can move on from doing the old um the shit sandwich as I like to do. Do you guys, do you guys the, the use the shit the sandwich? The compliment sandwich, yeah. they call it, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the Phil, shit sandwich is something else. Yeah, yeah. Phil focuses on the on the compliment bread <laughs> and I focus on the shit, shit filling. <laughs> meat filling. Now, I, did, I, did, right. I, I wanted to ask about the, the kids on is sort of growing into, into its own sort of thing at the moment. Uh, the, the games sort of share a, a DNA, particularly around those kind of stats that you all the characters have. Was that, mm-hmm. was that hard to come up with or, or hone down onto what you thought the kind of six key storytelling attributes were? Um, how did you arrive at those those particular six? Well, I mean, that that's really a, a direct uh, result of kind of the thing that we're talking about. Because when we first started having the conversation, um, Doug had posted to Facebook. He's like, hey, does anybody want to make a, t- a uh, Stranger Things board game? Mm. And I sent a message and I was like, hey, I'm already working on a board game. What if we did an RPG? So we started having the conversations, you know, about kids on bikes. And um, Doug was like, well, we really need to make it feel like old school D&D in some way. Like, because mm-hmm. that's an important thing in the show. And we, we kind of want that, like, nostalgic element of D&D. And um, he was like, what if we used Thacko? I've got no idea what that means. It's the most infamous and strange mechanic from early D&D. Is oh, is that, that with the armor class? Yes. And how you like get yeah. rid of it the the more powered. Oh, and you, you have become. to use a table right, to hit, and to hit armor class 0. Yes. Yeah, oh. it's like it's like decent it's like decent level math that you have to do to do anything. Um and, right. and I immediately was like, well, that's awful. What if we don't do that <laughs> instead? I don't remember if, as like what it, one of us was like, well, what if we just use you know a full set of polyhedrals for the stats and like make it feel like it's your D and D character in a different way? And I I love you both for that because I love indie TTRPGs and I love you know ones that use different mechanics. But I am sick of not being able to use all of the dice in my collection. <laughs> I bought all of these seven dice and I want to freaking use them. So Kids on Vice, like when right. I found this game, it was just such a Mwah, for all of the the dice goblins out there. And then the other part of that was um, our initial thinking after watching the first season of Stranger Things was how much, uh, and I think the later seasons got away from this a bit. But how much that first season was about dualism, right? The the focus on the upside down being a sort of inversion of the real world. Mm. Um, and so all of the stats uh, are inversions of the other one, right? Yeah. Like fight and flight, brains and brawn, charm and grit. And our initial thinking was that if you, if you had a D20 in one, you would have a D4 in the other. And if you had... A D12 in one, you would have a D6 in the other. So your brains and your brawn would always be opposite each other. Yeah, that makes sense. And eventually we moved away from that to give people more freedom and sort of flesh out the the tropes a little bit. Yeah, and you can break out from the archetypes a little bit. You can have a guy who's who's brainy, right? Uh, but, you know, is still up for that scholarship. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The sports scholarship. <laughs> yeah, that that was definitely a darling that Doug had to kill for me because I I really liked the the high low system and we 
we even took it a step farther because we were like, well, we kind of wanted to introduce some board gaming elements to it as well because we're both board game designers and and we both love board games and RPGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we had like these tiles that were opposed to each other that you would print out and put on your character sheet instead of actually. And I think I think Dud was like, well, what if we just directly put the dice on there and let them do whatever? And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. Like. <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> I forgot about the tiles. There's so yeah. many little cool things in in Kids on Bikes that are really simple and allow for kind of role players of every of any experience um, to kind of come to it. And and I think the 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 thing that just twigged in my head was the backpack of what would your character have in a backpack? And it was such a little. It's such a simple thing to ask in terms of character creation, but it really does add into that thing of allowing people to feel more comfortable in immersion and uh, immersive role playing, which I think is really fantastic about Kids on Bikes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. We, we very much wanted to make it approachable for people who were new to role playing games because another part of the conversation we had was that we felt like most RPGs don't really teach you how to play. Yeah. Like, I mean, I played D&D as a teenager, but like picking up second edition D&D books, they don't teach you how to play D&D at all. Like it's a list of rules, but you really need like somebody experienced to show you the first time. It's something I'm seeing more and more in books actually is a, is a kind of like, okay, so how does this whole role playing thing work? Yeah. Yeah. How to not be a jerk at your table. (laughs) Well, and and it was even that we wanted to try to incorporate that into the mechanics. So just, people answering questions from their character's perspective during the character creation is like a really good way to teach people to step into that role and, you know, start saying, I do this rather than, you know, my character does this. Yeah. I mean the role playing for, yeah, for your game. So the, the role playing really starts b- before the kind of the story does, where you're answering questions about the setting, you're answering questions about, character's relationship to each other mm-hmm. um it's that for me is, is it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about it as as nearly being a board game when i feel like that's such a, a such a wonderfully role-playing centric kind of beginning to to uh, uh kids on pikes uh kids on bikes group <laughs> kids on pikes kids is on the pikes? medieval setting yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no yeah, write it down <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Can I get a credit? <laughs> yeah, get one for coming up with the name. <laughs> Was there a point where it moved away from that that board game idea and and you guys really lent into to turning it into a sort of immersive role playing game? I mean, I think it was always. John was already working on on the board game, right? And that eventually became Snallygaster, right, John? Yep, yep, that was, um, and that that was actually where I had come up with the name Kids on Bikes. Right. And I just talked to my board game co-designer, and I was like, hey, we're going to steal that name for the RPG, too. Is that all right? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a, lo- what a lovely partner that you have. <laughs> but, yeah, so it was it was always that there were the, the board game elements to it more than, you know, we weren't going to have uh, a board or, you know, the sort of physical play space. Yeah. The intent was, was always to make it, make it that immersive role-playing game, mm. but incorporate the good elements from board games that that we love to to supplement that and to reinforce that yeah like uh, another element of that is the the skills in kids on bikes like when we were talking about making these skills in most rpgs like if you swim you just like get plus one to your swimming right 
we were like, we want like all the skills to just have like mechanical uses in the game. Much more. Oh, sorry about that. That was my wake up alarm. <laughs> Are um, you awake? <laughs> barely. <laughs> um, yeah. So we wanted all the abilities to have mechanical hooks in the game and not just be like, you do this just a little bit better. Right. And the sort of like the, the adversity token economy there, I think is a more board gamey kind of mechanic, right? Like weighing how much you want to do this thing now and the counterbalance of like, but if I spend the adversity tokens for this, I won't have them for that. I find that really interesting you say that because I know I know that you, uh, Doug, you taught you taught English, yeah. And I I looked at the adversity token mechanic and I always saw it as a way of of kind of parceling out story beats as a way of sort of uh, emulating the the ebb and flow of a story of of you know the low point uh, resulting in, in in kind of triumph later down the line. Um, so I thought it was a way to sort of make the mechanics and the story. Uh, align in that way rather than be sort of a like a like a, a board game kind of uh currency i guess so um was was it did you bring any of your thinking from from that part of your life into the design i mean that that sounds a lot smarter we should <laughs> <laughs> you can use that yeah you can say that later <laughs> we can actually maybe maybe our editor is good enough to <laughs> to somehow yeah. modulate your voice <laughs> so that right. sounds like your idea yeah, <laughs> yeah. well I, I can repeat it as an English teacher. Um, so, I mean, I think we had definitely talked about the the notion of fail forward, which I think is like a, a sort of boiled down version of that, mm. where failure should still feel fun in a game. Like everything, everything you do should be fun, even if it's not fun for your character. And so working that in and giving that, that bonus for failure was a big part of it. And so, you know, I don't know if that in intuitively was you know the sort of like well the hero has to fail before they fly but uh, but maybe we'll go with it sure (laughs) (laughs) it is such a a wonderful way of of making players feel really excited and um i think the adversity tokens uh certainly from our experience led into that sense of this should be a, a collaborative and cooperative game where people are looking to um, spend adversity tokens to help their friend or, um, you know, obviously the the mechanic of the powered character is kind of everyone is is collaboratively working at the table to, to accomplish a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, we even had, <laughs> I think it was you, Phil, who bemoaned that you hadn't failed anything, yeah. so you <laughs> had no adversity <laughs> tokens to spend. Well, I built, I, I built a very – I built a, a – a young protector, right? a young provider. So my whole thing was like helping other people. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I need these. To- I need to fail so I can start handing out tokens. <laughs> do you do you find that that there was a, a big focus on making this a real collaborative game? And was that inspired by the genre, by what kind of game that you wanted to to make? What was the the ethos towards let's make uh, the role playing really cooperative? It was because I think I, I said early on, or one of us, I don't remember who, at this point, I don't remember who said most of the things in our design. Um, <laughs> but one of us said that we wanted the power of characters in there. And I remember the other one distinctly saying, then everybody's just going to be powered characters all the time. <laughs> so we were like, well, how do we implement in a way that's impactful, but doesn't just unbalance the game? Make it not fun. Because if everybody had powers, it would be a lot less 
less states, I think. Mm. Um, so that's when we started to dream up the idea of like can, you know, co-controlling that character and what would that look like. But it fits. It fits a lot of the. It fits so neatly. It maps so neatly onto the uh, some of the things that are quite quite clearly influences for the game you know off the top of my head you know you've mentioned um stranger things but like you know et is also your your powered character yeah. you know whose whose mm-hmm. whose abilities are revealed you know piecemeal during during the story so it maps really well onto those so form and function i feel like work really well there yeah yeah we we kind of had this list of touchstones like Goonies, E.T., Stranger Things, like we had Paper Girls, the comic book. I knew that you had mentioned Paper Girls in previous interviews. I was hoping it would come up as one of my favorite comic books. No one else has read it in this freaking household. I'm sick of not being able to talk to it. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much. <laughs> I feel validated. I feel seen. Just start following your housemates around and holding it in front of them until they read it. Because they have to. have tried, so <laughs> but I only have two hands. <laughs> and I'm trying to get them onto The Wicked and The Divine and, and so many other comics at the same time. They're all a bit uh, sick of me. But, and I think actually in terms of the, the collaborative storytelling, that's actually a part where the English teacher in me, I, I think, did come into it. One of the things that people have complained is probably too strong a word, but one of the things that some people have had issues with is the amount of of creativity that it expects from the players and the GM. You know, it's it's less of a... I think of role-playing games as a... What you're creating is the framework for people to tell their story. And the framework can either help support them in telling their story or it can get in the way of them telling their story. In my work with high school students, like, I've seen the the ability to be creative, the ability to do things on their own that I think... If I had grown up and been a lawyer, I wouldn't have seen and wouldn't have expected that people would be able to do. And then um, if I was somehow both a game designer and a lawyer, um, <laughs> you perhaps wouldn't have had that that those elements to it where the kind of right. freedom. Yeah, right. Yeah. And sorry, I sort of trailed off there because I started staring into the void of uh, what life would be like if I were a lawyer. Um, <laughs> It's, it's not too late. <laughs> it's, uh, one of my best friends who's known me since high school, um, we were talking about, you know, like alternate versions of ourselves. And I said, yeah, like, I think there's an alternate version of you where this, this, and this. Do you ever think about how, uh, like, there's an alternate version of me where I'm a lawyer? And he said, yes, <laughs> as infrequently as possible. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, but yeah, I, I think creating that framework, right? Like it's, I want games that I work on to be sort of like a, like a set of storytelling prompts that at, at the end you have this thing that you've created with your friends, with, with the table that is this almost like living, breathing thing, like like any great story. I was surprised that, I mean, uh, being game designers and 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 knowing narratives very well kind of goes hand in hand with with making role playing games but i was surprised that there was no kind of acting background because this whole game is very very good for yes and um it's very theater kids yeah the game. idea yeah. of okay you you turn a corner and you see something what is it that frightens you so much and just totally giving the control 
um, to the players and then back to the GM um, and just kind of handballing it around is is very, as you say, Phil, theatre kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did get a C plus in improv in high school. Um, <laughs> Oh, great so, improv. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but maybe. I think so. I think so. We can't okay. rule it out, certainly. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of not ruling things out, the uh, other mechanic I find so, so, so exciting in Kids on Bikes is um, the rumors. Uh, everyone adding rumors to the game and um, figuring out which rumors will pay off, which uh, red herrings and, and what have you. Um, what is the weirdest rumor that you've been able to kind of pay off in in Kids of Bikes? Or have you heard uh, heard tell of anyone coming back to you and be like, I can't believe a player dropped this early on and I managed somehow to pull the whole thing off? Let me see. I mean, I, I love seeing people post those things in the forum because they're always... I'm a very lazy and bad GM. So my... <laughs> Uh, and that's that's why like a lot of the world creation stuff is in there because like I don't like to come up with ideas as the GM. I'm like, let's just make the players do all the work. <laughs> uh, and then and Dad was like, well, what if we frame it in a more positive way where it's collaborative? And I was like, yeah, whatever. As long as I don't have to have ideas, <laughs> as long as I don't have to do it, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. So Doug and I have this thing like whenever we sign the books, we always um, write half a story prompt in it and. I always write a rumor, and Doug, you what? Do you, what is it that you always write? I always write uh, a powered character in there. Yeah. Like, oh. Like, did you hear that old lady Jenkins' new cat was, you know, was seen um, lighting a dog on fire or whatever? <laughs> um, I did know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody who's cool knows. Um, and I heard that she's that way from the war. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> the cat seen some shit. So you see, you know, you've had a lot of, you get a lot of response and stuff on on the forums. How's, um, how has the the response been uh, for the game? Obviously, you're now expanding it into other areas. It's 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 got some legs to it. Was that something you re- you were expected, or or has it um, been a pleasant surprise? I think I think it's been a pleasant surprise for me very much. Oh. Like. Doug and I just started it as like a little passion project that we were doing a kickstart ourselves. Yep. And it was very happenstance that I, uh, at Gen Con, like we had already started to get Heather to do the artwork and we were doing the, you know, we had the cover, we had five or six internal pieces and we were starting to put together the kickstarter ourselves. And I just, um, at Gen Con, I was going from one meeting to the next and I ran into uh, Ivan Van Norman who I'd known online for a couple of years, but never met in person. And I was like, oh, shit, you're Ivan. Um, I wanted to say hi. And he was like, well, yeah, he was at his booth. And um, you know, we talked for a few minutes. He's like, what are you working on? And I was like, well, let me show you this RPG real quick. Because I knew that was, you know, his specialty is RPGs. And he really loves them doing Outbreak Undead. Um, and I showed him this. And he, like, put his hand over top of my phone. And he's like, don't show this to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> we're gonna take you to the. <laughs> we're gonna. You're gonna. Your name's gonna be in lights, kid. <laughs> yeah, but he was like, um, "Let's talk about what we could do with this after the convention." So that's um, you know, totally randomly that happened. And a, neither Doug or I wanted to publish it ourselves. Like we were just gonna do it because it was the path of least resistance. And yeah, you know, we didn't know anything about. Like neither of us had published an RPG before, so we didn't know 
publishers like we do in the board game industry um and we're like well you know maybe the rpg will do you know a couple thousand and we'll get a nice meal out of this and we'll make this fun thing and then it just kind of took off and the community around it like really blossomed people doing podcasts and you know all those things it's been incredible yeah i hear it even made it to australia so weird (laughs) all the way around the world it's wild i mean that was my goal was to penetrate that market (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one uh you've got to you've got to get through all the kangaroos all the wombats and you finally make it to the, the i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Nerds. Um, I, why do you think. Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to. to measure why something would be successful obviously if you're working on it you have a whole lot of passion for it and you think it's you know the best thing that it's going to be but why do you think the kids on franchise has has just blossomed um and now you're kind of you know uh, teens in space and kids on brooms and and who knows what else what do you think has been the the kind of thing that's really caught in in people's hearts I, I think that is that people just want to tell fun stories and the less hurdles there are to do that, the better. Right. And, and I think that we stumbled on a system that just makes it really easy to tell fun stories. So you feel it's like the simplicity of it, that you can pick it up and there's not too much in the way, but there's enough for you to hang on to. I think so. I think, I think making it really approachable for new players was a big, um, big part of that. Well, I can tell from firsthand experience, it made it very, very um, wonderfully tantalizing in terms of this was the first game I had ever run. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So, and and I did it on a podcast too for everyone to hear. <laughs> yeah, <Nailed> it. <laughs> thank you. Um, but but knowing that it was such a a narrative focused and and simple kind of uh, mechanics that I could really get my head around and just as you said, focus on the story, really made it um, super easy and super fun for me to to dive in even though I was not so confident on, on running a game. So yeah, you can you can take that to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but the other the other part about it and the other thing that has kind of persisted, uh, you know, is this kids or this teens part, you know, that's that's kind of independent of the mechanics. I mean, you could take, say, those those six different dice mechanics and those six stats and uh and, and you know, apply them to to sort of an adult centric game do you think there's something in the the kind of freedom of, of playing some more naive or more innocent characters that that means you kind of stuck with the the kind of kids idea is is there something there i mean i think that 
automatically gets people to shift more into the playing a role space, right? Like I know when I play, when I play D and D, um, the same friend who, uh, tries to think as little as possible about me being a lawyer. Um, <laughs> it's also my GM. And one of his, one of his running jokes with me is like, all right, so Doug's going to play Doug in this game. But, um, is it going to be Doug the Paladin or Doug the Bard? Which, which one? Which one those two? With, I, I think with playing a kid, you're automatically not playing yourself, right? You're, you're necessarily shifting back to that earlier space where you didn't, know as much where you saw the world differently. And I think that just asks, requires players to, to, to look back and say, okay, well, what, what mistakes did I make when I was younger? Right? Like, how was I thinking about the world differently, more simplistically, more black and white, more, more whatever. Um, and how can I bring that into my character? We've all been kids, right? Not I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never once. Um, that's that's a really really interesting thing that you mentioned about thinking back to to when we kids and having to put ourselves in those shoes. There's a really interesting thing in in the game about fear, and and how you know when the older we get, our our fears become a lot more. Uh, specific of you know uh, death and and being alone and taxes and all that kind of stuff but um i think it's mentioned in the book that sometimes kids are scared of the what's under their bed or spiders or you know kind of um i just remember reading that and and thinking oh this is a really good reminder to to role play and to put yourself in the shoes of of someone who's a bit more innocent and who has fears that are a bit more tangible and um not irrational but immediate yeah, yeah and yeah. and then the the fear there for other things becomes so much more nefarious the opportunity for horror and mystery is is a lot scarier because you think of you know kids trying to go up against a big government scheme or, or something like that and it, it really lends into to higher stakes i find yeah yeah and i mean freud's theory about the heimlich is um to to dip into the english teacher thing for as briefly as i possibly can <laughs> is the i'll allow you know, it. <laughs> <laughs> his theory about fear and horror is that it returns us to that earlier psychic state right and so the things that frightened us as children frighten us to some extent as adults right the even if it's not well i can't possibly go down into that dark basement it's there's no good reason for me to not want to go down into the basement but boy howdy i don't yeah. Um, oh yeah and, yeah fuck that dark basement i'm still not going there <laughs> i don't know if you've all seen the the new candy man movie but i um, have oh so good it's so good but that scene where uh not to not give anything away one of the characters opens a, a door looks down and there's this rickety staircase into a dark basement and says, hell no, and yeah. closes the door. Right? <laughs> Truly a horror movie for our times. Or I, I think it's just nope, right? Looks looks and says, nope, and nope. closes the door. And that's it. Well, it's something that's so nice about, uh, or so interesting, I think, about something like Stranger Things is that those childhood fears are given, they're given real stakes. They become 
that you know the kids are not believed, but for them the fears are the fears are actually very very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that inversion is something that's really fun to to play with in a story. Speaking of the the mechanics allowing you to to tell those kind of stories, um, or you know allow the freedom for for people to to really tap into the role playing and tell a story that's a lot more collaborative. Um, what kind of stories? do you guys like to tell oh my my favorite is just exploring the weird stuff that my players come up with like i i really like seeing the weird directions that they take it in um so i'm really happy to explore anything um i especially i love running it at conventions and doing one-offs because you get such a weird mix of random people who don't play together all the time and who bounce off like weird energies off from each other, which is a lot of fun. So I always like the really weird um, stories that happen. Then you like a, you like mashups. Yeah. What about what about you, Doug? What's your favorite kind of story? I love longer form stuff, um, and I love 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 it when either the GM or one of the players brings back something from earlier that didn't seem important at the time, um, but but then comes back or, I mean, one of my favorite things to do. And before, when you asked about rumors, I was trying to think of an example of this. Um, when one of the rumors gets inverted, right? Like, Oh yeah. So one of my favorite rumors, um, so remember how I said, I love callbacks. Um, <laughs> oh, he's just done one, one in our podcast. <laughs> was that, um, it, it was a game at a convention. Um, but it was the rumor that, the principal was actually devouring children, which like, you know, in terms of being afraid of your principal when you're a kid, like was great for all of that. So the, the setup for the story was that like, it was the breakfast club. They were all at a Saturday detention, but it was Saturday night. And so as it was getting dark out there, they started hearing things and they were, you know, the principal had told them, do not leave the library, do not. And they started hearing things out in the, in the hallway and snuck out and saw this figure rushing towards them and ran back in and slammed the door, locked it. And we're trying to keep it closed as somebody was trying to break in. And then everything went quiet and they stepped away from the door and the principal's body got flung through the door, <laughs> totally destroyed. Oh and then the creature showed up. Um, so and they, so, lo- like, they locked him out. Around, <laughs> right. Like flipping it around where the, where the thing that they're expecting that they've built up in their heads as part of that process of the rumors or that, you know, the players are very clearly moving in this direction and then inverting it and having that moment of like surprise at the table is one of my favorite things, as long as it all makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know where my mind immediately went, not that, the principal was fine. It's that the principal was actually all those monsters stacked inside of a trench coat. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. I'm, I'm we know what your next story is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. I didn't do that now. <laughs> I had the perfect opportunity. I let it slip through my fingers. I, I've seen recently you guys are doing some sort of live stream design stuff for, for, for kids in capes. Um, yes. What was the idea b- behind that, and how's th- how's that all going? So the idea to live stream it was Dud. So he was like, "Hey, would it be dope if we like design this with other a bunch of other people 
and did it all live where people could, you know, watch the process because it's a thing we get asked a lot. And the superhero thing was me beating Doug up since we've been working on Kids on Bikes to do a superhero game. Mm -hmm. Um, And I finally got him to watch um, Stargirl, the DC TV show. And I was like, kid, uh, Doug was like, no, Kids on Bikes isn't superheroes. Like, that doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> there's a million other really good superhero games masks in this there's no reason for us to be a kid bike. and i was like just watch star girl star girl is kids on bikes superhero team and he watched it and he was like all right yeah we'll do superheroes next you're right <laughs> <laughs> i'm sensing yep. a pattern here in your working relationship <laughs> well it's good to have your minds changed yeah it's one of us bullying the other one into doing something yeah, it's yes. perfect. <laughs> Does it affect the design process much to know that you have an audience while you're doing it? Or do you find you just sort of forget that and just go? I found it had a pretty big impact, mostly positively. I mean, Austin was really smart helping us set boundaries from the start and to, you know, kind of say like, hey, listen, we, you know, we're doing this to interact with everybody. Um, but like, you know, feel free to chat however you want in the chat. But, you know, we're going to be very careful, about, like not coming to the audience for ideas we kind of we want to show you the design process but we don't want to like design a a weird audience camel like that. <laughs> a beautiful corpse yeah. made by by chat yeah right yes yeah. <laughs> i was very unsure about the metaphor we were, <laughs> we were striking here <laughs> kids and camels is that going to be the next <laughs> No, the, uh, the old jeans. saying is that a camel ta- is a horse designed by a committee. Uh, right. I hadn't heard that one. No, <laughs> I've never good. heard of that either. <laughs> I think that's it, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a, what's a platypus then? Oh, God. <laughs> Some are really bold stuff. A platypus up. is a duck designed by a committee on acid. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was going to say it was, you know, it's a committee on, on like uh, Friday at 4 p.m., you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Down at the pub. <laughs> they're just ready, they're ready to right. go home. All right, lads. <laughs> lads, yeah, lads, lads. Down at, down at heels. Fuck it. Yeah, great. We're going home. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I feel like the platypus is giving the customer what they asked for. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Speaking of of working as as game designers, you're both freelance, and I feel like we can definitely uh, empathize uh, as uh, as um, you know both kind of jobbing creatives and actors and and all that kind of business. What is the kind of working life and uh, as a freelance when you're kind of looking for new projects, trying to get things? crowdfunded how do you kind of manage all of that and for you doug being a teacher on top of that yeah i mean john and i have totally different approaches john's full-time with game design and i am uh emphatically (laughs) part-time um adamantly i would even say (laughs) yeah yeah i i had an intern uh who was a game design student at a college that uh, where a friend of mine teaches and in our first meeting the, the kid said uh so when did you know you wanted to be a full-time game designer? And I said, I'm not. Like, <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> like, if that's the internship opportunity you're looking for, I will help you find someone. But I am not. He was like, oh, but you're, you're planning on being <laughs> at some point, right? I was like, no. Um, no, that's so, a responsible adult. <laughs> Doug the lawyer, yeah. The lawyer, right. No, I, I'm lucky enough to to love teaching so much that 
even if I hit the lottery, I would teach two or three classes instead of five. And, and so I don't really go looking for work in, in this. Um, if somebody says, hey, we're doing this thing and it sounds fun, then I'll say, hey, I would like to work on it. And if, you know, you know, like if Wizards of the Coast showed up and was like, hey, you were a GM for a Red Death podcast that like four people listened to and we're going to add the Red Death setting to Ravenloft. <laughs> would you work on that? Yes. And if they were taking pitches, I might pitch it. But one of the things that I realized after that first game, Gothic Doctor, was that I don't want to be a publisher. I don't want to do this full time. I don't, I just want to be able to do stuff when I say like, yeah, this seems fun. Let me work on this. Right. Like kids on bikes was because I thought it would be fun to work with John and it is. And I thought it would be fun to work on an RPG like this. And it has been, but not because I expected that it was going to cover expenses or, or pay bills. And that as a hobby is really important for me. And like John said, I'm, I'm really adamant about it. Am I hearing correctly, Doug, that you have a work-life balance and professional boundaries that you employ as a freelancer? Yeah, Doug, Doug's like the most mysterious unicorn I've ever met. <laughs> Majestic, too. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, balance is a strong word, but um, the summers off, I, I think, are the, the thing that allow me to, to do this, mm. e even as a hobby. Because then I can devote myself more to, you know, this summer it was, my focus was on Kids in Capes and one other secret project for Kids on Bikes um, and a game called Home. Having that sort of headspace in addition to family life is, is something that the summer's off affords me. Yeah, it's something quite unique to the profession, I guess, that, that it does that go. That you get holidays. Yeah, that it comes in, in cycles like that. Um, what what about you, John? Obviously, you've got a, a completely different approach. What's what's it like designing games for a living? Uh, is it is it precarious, or do you have a a nice kind of niche that you 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 sat in now? Um, it it can be precarious, but it's also like I'm super happy to be in that precarious position, and mm -hmm. I know that I'm really you know I know I'm really lucky to have gotten where I am. Um, there, there definitely is a pressure in the pandemic's made it worse because the global shipping crisis is just eye watering. Yeah. Yeah. It's just made the industry awful. And like, because I survive on, you know, quarterly income on royalties, like if ships don't make it for a quarter, like that's real bad for me. Mm. Um, so it's, it's definitely scary. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it. And I try to. I try to balance. It's like, um, was it Matt Damon that said it in Clerks? Like, first you do the money movie and then you do the art movie. Mm. Like, I try to, you know, I, I try to alternate between projects that, you know, I think will make really good products and projects that I'm just super passionate about, which is, you know, what Kids on Bites started out as is just this passion project with Doug yeah. and I. Where do you where do you get your ideas in, in the shower, in the bath, or on the bus? <laughs> in the spa, or do you or do you or do you kind of brainstorm and? Yeah, I just lounge in a spa all day until. <laughs> <laughs> the sauna and yeah, the shower. I was gonna say yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it comes from the media that I consume. Like Dead of Winter was because I grew up watching zombie movies. And none of the zombie board games were doing the things that I wanted to that I thought were interesting about zombies. You know, Kids on Bites was our ode to that 
genre. And, you know, I have a superhero game that I've been working on for years. That's, you know, no other superhero game is doing the things that I want it to. So a lot of it comes from just trying to address what I think is missing from the market. And, and I, I don't know why, but I seem to have a very good skill at anticipating the zeitgeist in a lot of ways. Like the winner hit at the perfect time and kids on bites hit at the perfect time. So I I'm very lucky and kind of, you know, getting excited about the things that people are going to be excited about in a year. <laughs> you mm-hmm. tapped into the right cultural vein. Uh, is there a genre that you're really jazzed on? Maybe not right now, but it's just like, oh, I feel like I feel like one day I'd, I'd really love to make a game that explores that kind of genre or is inspired by that movie. Um, I've been really lucky. Uh, Teens in Space is both um, because the publishers wanted us to do Kids on Brooms as the follow-up to Kids on Bikes. Um, and Doug and I were both like, oh, I would really like to do the space one. And they're like, yeah, then do the space one. That's fine. Do whatever you're excited about. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, my God. Yeah, was the one that I was most excited about. Why is that? I just, I love good sci-fi movies. And, and really, Star Wars is a teens in space movie. Like, mm. it was very much about kids on adventures with, you know, powers and Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy, too. So, you know, we had some really good hit or touchstones with it. And I was just really excited about uh, making a spaceship and flying it around. Yeah, that sounded fun. <laughs> as as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you would uh, this upcoming that you would like to plug? Anything you'd like to talk about? Kids in capes for sure. Um, there's something I would like to plug but can't. Um, <laughs> Go on, do it. No, I'm kidding. No, no, of course, <laughs> of course, <laughs> only what you're comfortable with. I, well, I've never seen Ivan angry, and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> so, what stages are kids in capes at at the moment? The early writing stages, right? Um, so we've got the we've got the the ideas out there. We've generated those. Um, now we have to write them down and realize where all the holes are, mm-hmm. and then either plug the holes or, uh, you know, revise it so that the thing that has the hole in it isn't there anymore. So we've got a little wait wait for for kids in capes? Yeah. Is is what you're trying to tell us? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'll be fully honest, yes. Um, But we can get hyped for it all the same. Yeah. uh, Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you want to say something, but you can't. (laughs) I really, really, really do. Uh, one thing that I am really excited about is um, Free Content Friday, which is something that Hunter's Entertainment does for some of their properties. This year, they're doing it for Outbreak Undead and Kids on Brooms. And this is the second year we've done it for the Kids Online. First year, it was sort of scattershot. And, you know, one month, it was Kids on Bikes. And then one month, it was a Teens in Space thing. And for this year, they said, we'd really like to do a unified thing. And so I edited and worked with five other really great writers to tell this year-long story about a school in Central Park, uh, hidden in Central Park in New York City, where, well, things things are starting to go awry at the school. I'm working on the final month that sort of brings the story to a close, and so I'm really excited for uh, for that and for people to see how that all turns out. And, and where can people uh, look for that when it, when it comes out? Yeah, so that's on Drive Through RPG. Everything, the first 11, uh, well, the 11th month will go up tomorrow, November 5th, but it's on drive-through. Uh, and if you look for 
stuff published by Hunter's Entertainment and Free Content Friday. You'll find it there. Fantastic. Excellent. And you, Jonathan? So, uh, you know, obviously the Snellagaster situation, the Kids on Bites board game, would love it if, you know, people checked out. You know, I think we we did a good job of capturing some of the fun things about Kids on Bites and a tabletop experience. And then early next year, I have a game coming to Kickstarter called Colab, um, which is a board game about being a, a mad scientist who can't afford their own laboratory, so they have a co-working space. <laughs> nice, lovely. Oh, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, you know, we feel like the name Colab is pretty clever because you know it's a it's a co-working lab, and it's it's also a collaborative board game. It's not it's still competitive, but it's not cooperative. So like you're trying to win, but everything you do, like uh, we're, we're talking to the take this game instead of take that. Like you're constantly giving the other players stuff. Excellent. So it's a yeah, it's a neat little take on uh, worker placement games that I think has a lot of charm. And the the art's fantastic in it. I, I'm in love with the art direction. Who did the art? Uh, an artist, Magdalena. I don't remember her last name. I'll have to look look it up. But uh, I have added her to my list of artists to work again work with again because she's fantastic oh fantastic and and where can people find that uh that'll be on kickstarter in january so follow me on twitter and i'll post it there or you know just keep an eye on kickstarter john mentioning snellygaster reminded me so duel of wands uh is a hard game in the kids on brooms universe uh a two-player heads up tactical uh hand management, light deduction, filler game kind of thing that Luke Minch and I worked on uh, in the Kids on Brooms universe. And really excited about art by Heather on that one throughout the game. Really, really love it. Uh, Duel of Wands? Duel of Wands, yeah. Great, great. It has, it has mechanics for using it in the RPG as well, right, Doug? It does, yeah. Um, and the and Free Content Friday uh, has an adventure centered around using it in there. So, yeah. Oh, Fantastic. It's all tying together. Multi-level marketing, right? That's yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, first you get the game, then you get the tie-in, <laughs> then you get the special free Friday collaboration that ties it all together. And then you get 10 friends and then you make you them. Get, then you get the monies. That's right. One day, one yeah. day. Speaking of tying it together, I think Phil you were about to <laughs> about thank to, our lovely guests. I was. I was going to thank you both very much for, for being here, uh, despite the, the time differences and, and giving your insights on, on uh, game design and, and this game in particular. We had an absolute blast playing it. Um, uh, if you're listening to this now and you've you just binged the whole season, thank you for at home as well for listening to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to say good luck in your future endeavors, guys. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and thank you for having us. This was a pleasure. It has been an honor to talk to you guys it's been great and thank you so much we got up early but you stayed up very late for us (laughs) yeah but we do that anyway (laughs) well that is all we have time for unfortunately it has been so wonderful getting to talk to doug and jonathan oh my goodness thank you both so much for coming i am ellen and uh, i will relinquish my post as being GM and uh, Phil would you like to sign off but also tell us exactly what we're getting in store for next week. Yes, thank you. We are beginning our season of The Witcher next week so join us for episode zero of The Blood Soaked Rose. Thank you once again to Doug and Jonathan we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to Mystery Down Under, which is a Roll to Cast production. The best way to find us is on Twitter, Discord, and our Patreon. All our podcasts are on Acast, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcatchers. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash roll to cast. Kids on Bikes and all associated properties are trademark of Renegade Game Studios. Used with permission. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.